Welcome to Highly Educated, the podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Sherman. And joining us tonight is commercial airline pilot and uh, local Montauk legend, Shane D'Souza. And uh, we brought him in to talk about all things flying a plane, aviation, you know, what it's like, what that world is, and, uh, you know, how he got started. So without further ado, welcome Shane. Shane, how we doing, man? Welcome. Doing really good, man. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks for coming in. Yeah, yeah. This is cool. <laughs> yeah, little basement rig, little studio here. We got the, you know, got the got the things going. I love it, dude. This is totally cool. This is uh, our little makeshift. <laughs> so uh, Shane's joining us here from uh, Montauk, New York. We're out in the east end of Long Island here. So uh, yeah, Shane's from the area, and he decided to just become an airline pilot. You know, we're going to talk about when that happened, why, you know, the findings behind it. But, you know, Shane, anybody knows him, he's such a, a nice dude. And, uh, you know, he's your, you know, he's your funny guy and a uh, guy makes you laugh. Good time to be around. So, you know, he's the guy that you want flying your plane, man. You know, you, you, you want. <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, how, how did you uh, kind of come from, you know, just did anything from Montauk influence your flight or pilot stuff? Was it stuff you saw out there at all or what? No, nothing really. Um, it's funny because my uh, my grandfather was in the Air Force, um, and that's actually what brought him out to Montauk was the uh, the air base out in Montauk. So oh, no he, way! He was based in Montauk Air Base, the Air Force base up there, and uh, my grandmother, I think she moved out to Montauk when she was ten years old. So that's how they met. So that's kind of how. Oh wow! Yeah, it's crazy, pretty crazy. Yeah, and I actually I actually didn't even know that until a few years ago. <laughs> yeah, so. Um, so that wasn't an influence for the flying thing? No, surprisingly it, not. It was it's just kind of in your blood kind randomly. Kind of a coincidence. Well, he wasn't wow. a pilot in the Air Force. He was a staff sergeant. And, oh, okay. Uh, but uh, he was enlisted. Um, but uh, he took me to air shows when I was a little kid, like seeing World War II airplanes and stuff. And I thought it was cool, but I wasn't like, oh, like that's what I want to do for the rest of my life. This is so right. cool. I was like, oh, that's neat. you know. But I wasn't really... You know, airplanes actually really scared me when I was a little kid. And um, Was it the noise? Was it like the... What was it? I just didn't understand it, you know? And I'm like... Not seeing a plane scary, but like I'd go on, you know, I remember we went to Tortola for my first family vacation and uh, me and my mom were just uh, like terrified. And I remember I walked down the jet bridge and I see the galley and I see the flight attendants. My mom goes, oh, this is his first time on an airplane. And the flight attendants were like, come with us. They brought me right up to the cockpit. I met the two pilots and I'm like, right, right when you could still do this. And, and, I, and I was maybe, maybe seven or eight years old. And, your eyes and I'm open. like, holy shit, look at all these freaking buttons. <laughs> <laughs> Attention span over. Oh, my God. But I remember, the, you know, they gave me a little set of wings. And, um, but even then, it wasn't like, oh, that's when I knew. I mean, still, I was, like, terrified of airplanes and stuff. And um, Me too, growing up. Same thing. Yeah. Huge yeah. You know, they flying. still scare me a little bit. <laughs> yeah, and you fly them every day? Yeah. Um, wow. Not, you know, they don't scare me like that. But, um, but, yeah, I mean, it wasn't until, well, I went to Dowling College on Long Island. Um, Shout out to Dowling, yeah. Long Island. <laughs> <laughs> they have a uh, an Oakdale campus and a Brookhaven campus, and the Brookhaven campus has an airport. Well, it was it was on Brookhaven Airport, right, up off William Floyd Parkway. If anyone knows where that is, and um, you know, I went there because my older sister went there. It wasn't anything in particular, no reason. That's the only thing I think. I was like, I'll just go to freaking Dowling because that's where my sister went. Right. I wasn't like gung ho. Let's go to college, you know, because I struggled academically, you know, growing up and. Um, but my dad's, you know, about halfway through my first semester, he's like, dude, you know, there's like a, a flying program at that school that you go to. 
I'm like, really? I'm like, so? He's like, well, why don't you check it out? I'm like, I don't know, man. That's really not for me. He's like, dude, just go take a lesson. It might be pretty cool. And, um, you know, I was like, okay, it's your idea. It's your money. I'll do it, you know? <laughs> and um, I went for my first lesson. I remember my flight instructor called me, like, a few days before. He's like, hey, my name's Matt. I, I remember it, you know, because it was such a, you know, that started everything. Hi, my know? name's Matt. Hey, I'm Matt. I'm your flight instructor. I'm like, you're my what? You know? <laughs> Welcome to flight school. Yeah, <laughs> yeah seriously. And, um so, um, yeah, I remember um, going in for, in for my first lesson and uh, walking out to the airplane and, and opening up the door and looking in and I see all the buttons and the switches and the knobs and the flight controls and I'm like, what the hell am I doing here, man? This is not... <laughs> I got, I'm in way over my fucking head. There's too much shit. Oh, yeah, way over my head. This is cool, but this this will be fun today, but I'll, this is, I'll never do this again. <laughs> I had no idea, no idea that it was going to turn into what, what it is today, so it's it's pretty crazy, you know, so um, I took a couple lessons, and I thought it was cool, um, but uh, I was still like, yeah, it's cool, but it's really, this isn't really my thing, it's not really for me, you know, and I like to surf and, and skateboard and do all those, you know, those types of things, those are the kinds of things that I like to do, and, um, but, but at the same time, you know, my dad and my mom and dad were really supportive of it, and uh, I'm like, you know what? I at least had enough sense to say, hey, like if I have an opportunity to become an airline pilot, that's pretty cool. Let me just see where this goes, you know? Um, so you really, so what kind of drove the, drove the passion? What was kind of like, what, what was that moment where you're like, hey, like, damn, all right, I'll just keep, I'll keep going with this. This it, is fun. It was like the first time in my life when I realized I had the tools in front of me to do something really cool. And I was maybe 18 or 19 years old. And um Again, I, th I think I finally had enough sense to say, hey, if I'm smart, I'll take advantage of this opportunity, you know? So um, so I, uh, I enrolled in all aviation courses my second semester, took flying lessons like full-time, you know, as the weather would permit on Long Island, which isn't very good for flying at least. <laughs> right. At least learning how to fly. You know, you need good weather and stuff. Um, and again, wasn't like, I love this, but I'm like, this is, this is a good thing. I, sh I, should, I should go for this, you know? And um, so at the, end of the, at the end of my first year, my dad's like, well, Shane, you know, you could... You could take flying lessons or you could go to school, but um, you can't do both. So um, I was like, you know what? If I, uh, I was like, I, I know I could always go back to school, but if I don't fly now, I know I never will because I'm young. My parents are supporting me. I got no kids or nothing. This is the time to do this, you know? Right. And um, and, you're, and what age are you at this? Maybe, maybe 18 or 19. 19. Okay. It's probably 19. I think I was wow. 19 years old when I wow. really got into this, you know? Um, and again, they were the ones really pushing for this. And I'm like, no, guys, it's cool. Like, no, no, let's, let's, let's go somewhere. Let's, let's do this. You know, I'm like, okay. So my mom found a flight school out in San Diego, California. And uh, she's like, well, what do you think? I'm like, yeah, that sounds cool. You know, I'll go check it out with dad. So me and my dad flew out there and we met with some of the school administrators. And it's not like a college. It's a little mom and pop shop on uh, Montgomery Field Airport in San Diego. A little, little airstrip out there. Yeah. Um, and I went out there and... Uh, yeah, we met with the school administrators and talked to the flight instructors. I had about 20 hours of flight time by then, you know. I went up with a little, uh, little for a little flight lesson with one of their instructors. And, um, and I come back, I'm like, yeah, this is cool. But you know what? Let's just go home. My dad's like, no, no, no. We, we, we want to do this. Let's, let's do this. I'm like, okay, all right, let's do this. Like a leap of faith, you know. So I remember I came home and uh, I stopped flying at Dowling. And I actually drove taxis that, <laughs> that summer. You drove taxis Mo in Montauk? Moco Taxi out Moco in Montauk. Moco Taxi! <laughs> yeah! Yeah, I drove Moco Shout Taxi. Out. 19 years old, man. And uh, it was an interesting job. Um, 
you know, I, my boss. So how you learned how to dispatch right there, baby. Just talk it. on the radio yeah. and stuff. And, um, and I learned how to talk to people, like just people that you just met. Cause I was meeting new people all day long, you know? Um, and my boss was, you know, he was really cool and they were, they were, it was a responsible cab outfit. It wasn't a bunch of shitheads out there, you know? Right. Um, you know, they didn't let me drive at night and they were very strict about, you know, Yes, that's crazy. But then, you know, that's obviously you're floating in between. So then then after that, it was just like, all right, I got to lock down, get serious, and this is what I'm doing. Oh, so, yeah. So so we had scheduled it to start. You know, this was in the spring. I went out to San Diego. So we agreed I'd come back in September. Even though it wasn't college, it was kind of like my school year. Yeah. So when everyone else was going back to school, I was going to go to San Diego and get my thing going. Right. So, yeah, I drove taxis that summer, kind of building up for it. And, um yeah, man, me and my dad, we drove out to San Diego, and it was uh, it was a really fun trip, man. It was a good father-son thing, and uh, we really made, like, a funny road trip out of it. Kind of like that Clark Griswold. Uh, yeah, like the family stopped vacations. Stopped at all those yeah. funny little spots, the biggest freaking ball of dirt or whatever it was, you know? <laughs> um, Giant boot, we, frying yeah, pan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The devil's we, ass crack, yeah. you know, whatever, whatever random spots or, That like might Arizona. have been more interesting than what it were. No, I'm kidding. Right, yeah. We went to Howe Caverns. We go to the Grand Canyon. We go to, you know, we did the whole American thing, me and my dad. And uh, it was, I'll never forget that. It was, it was really cool. And, um, you know, but we're on a budget. And uh, as we start to get a little sleepy, the sun would go down. I was like, all right, Shane, start looking for a Motel 6. I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know, it's like the cheapest hotel. But, right. Um, but we did it, man. And, and we drove out there. And I remember my dad left me there. And uh, I drove him to the airport so he could fly home. And I was, and I kept the truck. And, uh. I dropped him off at the airport. He's like, good luck, dude. This is it. Make it happen. I'm like, oh my God, what the fuck am I'm I in doing? San Diego now. I'm 3,000 miles away from home. I'm 19. I'm, yeah. Right. I don't, I don't know nothing about nothing. And, uh, but I remember driving home from the airport, just be like, this is real. Like I'm now I'm accountable and I need to get this done. And my parents are spending all this money and I have to do this for them, you know, and myself, obviously. Um, but yeah, I started taking flying lessons there full time, and the weather's great. That was another reason why for going to San Diego because the weather was really good. You can right, fly every always, day. Right, you can fly every day. Fly every day at, at Dowling. Is that a popular decision that a lot of pilots take? Is to go to San Diego? It's like Florida or Southern California. That's where a lot of people, or, or um, Arizona. Um, you know, there's some flight colleges up in. Uh, there's one University of North Dakota. Some people learn up there, which I think would be a little tough because it's freaking freezing cold up there. Um, right. Uh, there's Embry Riddle down in Florida. Um, but yeah, it's usually, you know, Florida or Southern California. Those are like the really good places to fly small airplanes in, in America, you know. And then when did that, when was that moment where they like let you, like where they're letting the reins go and you're like touching the thing on yeah, your own and you're like your, actually uh, flying? Like what? So go through like yeah. that cycle. So how did, you, how did you push through to like, instead of just like going with people and like yeah. doing that and, and getting with, like when, when does that transition? Yeah. So basically your first big milestone when you start taking flying lessons is your first solo flight when you go up by yourself. So you're going up with your instructor. You need the regulatory requirement is you know is ten hours with an instructor. That's the minimum though. You you probably do it maybe fifteen to twenty. Just being realistic. Just because you have ten hours doesn't mean you're ready to go. You know some guys are really good. They're on it. They can go right away. But I think I was wait. It only takes ten or fifteen hours to be able to fly in a plane by yourself. Well, a, I'm talking a small little Cessna in the traffic pattern around a very quiet airport where no one's around. That's what right, I'm talking right, about. This okay, isn't right. You know, <laughs> you're not. And it's and it's a and it's perfect weather. They, they, they make every provision for you possible so that you cannot possibly fuck up, you know? Right. Um, but there's some requirements they have to meet from your instructor. They have to sign off in, in your log, you know, the logbook that we record all our flights in. There's a, there's a section in the back for endorsements where your flight instructor says you're ready for something, for like a first solo or to take your private pilot test, you know, your, your check ride. I endorse such and such is ready for his first solo flight, this and that. 
Um, yeah, so once I got to that point, we flew down to Brownfield, San Diego. And they don't really tell you the day that they're going to do it. They kind of surprise you because they don't want you getting all nerved up for it. So we leave Montgomery Field, go down to Brownfield, San Diego, which is on the frickin' border of Mexico, you know? Right. And we're doing some laps in the traffic pattern, which means you, you take off and land. You, you make a, a rectangular uh, flight path over the airfield. You go upwind, crosswind, downwind, base and final. And you can do touch and goes. You could just do loops in the pattern all day long. So we land, and he looks at me. He's like, what do you think, Shane? You, you think you're ready? I'm like, to solo? He's like, yeah, yeah, you think you're ready to solo? I'm like, well, you might, let's, yeah, I might as well do it. Let's hear it now. Let's get it done. And uh, he's like, all right, dude, you got it. He pat me on the back, you know, and you really do bond with your flight instructor. It's, it's pretty cool, you know, because they're, they're your best friend for months, you know. And well, I hope the guy that's teaching you how to fly other people in an aircraft yeah. across the United <laughs> States is a good person. <laughs> yeah, they're generally good people, you know. Um, but I'll never forget what he said to me when he gets out, when he gets out of the plane. He's like, uh, oh, and by the way, you know that black fence that's down there that we saw? Don't go over that because that's the Mexican border. And if you do that, there'll be fucking F F 15s on your ass and in two minutes, you know, uh, <laughs> I'm like, okay, okay. Drops it on you right before you leave. Yeah. And, and I already knew that. I think he was just trying to maybe fire me up a little bit. I'm like, oh, okay. all right, man, let's do it. So, so yeah, so, so they, they get out of the plane. Usually how it works is, well, obviously they, obviously they get out of the plane, but they get out of the plane, they stand on the ramp and, you know, they'll have a camera with you and they'll have a handheld radio maybe sometimes so they can still talk to you while you're up there. Um, taxied out to the runway, got my clearance from the control tower to take off. I'm, yep, I'm going to make a closed pattern. Uh, student pilot, you kind of throw that in there because then they kind of give you a little, they kind of, right, right, right. You know, they help you out a little. The, they the grease controllers, the you know, yeah. like, okay, you're, you know, clear for takeoff, you know, so I'm barreling down the runway and, um, I rotate, which means the airplane comes off the ground. And, uh, the biggest sensation I got was I looked to my right and it's just a big empty void. There's nobody sitting next to me. And that's when I was like, oh, I'm in this. <laughs> you're in this fucking like, plane by yourself. Yeah, I was like, I have flying this thing. And you're like, the only, you're relying on only yourself. This is it. I'm like, it's all on me. And I have to see this through. I can't hit pause. There's none but of that. You, was the, was like your, it, was your knowledge, did you feel like it was there? Or did you feel yeah. like terrified? You were like shaking. No, you were like, no, fuck, no. I don't, I don't, I'm, I might fuck this up. No, no. I knew I had, you know, the knowledge and skills required for that. But it was just, I've never done it by myself before. But I knew I was ready. And they don't let you go till you're ready. You know, and later on down the road, you know, I was also a flight instructor myself. And oh, okay. I'll, right. I'll kind of tell you how you prepare your student and all that. But, um, but yeah, I did three laps in the pattern, full stop, landing, taxi back, do it again. That's kind of like the, um, your, you lose your, 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 your virginity yeah, as a pilot yeah, yeah. is when you do your first solo. You get your wings. Exactly. <laughs> that first flight, solo flight, bam, nailed it. Yeah. Then you were hooked. Then you were like, damn, that was sick. Uh, let's go. Let's do it. Still not. Really? Still not feeling it. Really? <laughs> like, I, I was like, all right, like, I'm going to, my plan is to become a professional pilot, an airline pilot. That's my goal. But I don't love this. But I've chosen to do this, so I'm just going to. You're not thrivingly it. passionate about it at this point. No. And it's funny because, you know, my, my peers, and I was at an international flight school, so I was the only American U.S. citizen. So what was that like next step then after the solo okay. flights? Like what, when did it, what, so now when was the, what was the next goal you work on towards after that? Okay. So the next goal is to get your private pilot certificate or private pilot license. Okay. And private means it's for your own personal enjoyment. You're allowed to take passengers. Okay. Um, those are your privileges. You can fly at night or during the daytime in good weather. It has to be certain, certain visibility requirements. You need at least uh, three miles of visibility. And I believe a, a, 
Oh my God, I should know this. Either, it's either two or 3,000 foot ceiling. I don't fly under those rules anymore, so they're kind of cloudy for me, but under certain parameters, you can fly. You know, it, right. it's, it's your private license. So that was the right. first goal because that's the first thing that, that you get on your journey to being a, a professional pilot, whether it's an airline pilot or a freaking skydiver pilot or you know, whatever. Right. That's what everybody has to get is your private pilot license. Um, so yeah, you know, I had, I had arrived in San Diego that September and, um, you know, through a lot of blood, sweat and tears and a lot, you know, a lot of personal struggles of self doubt and, you know, cause the whole time I'm, I'm doing this, I'm like, I didn't think it was actually going to happen. I'm like, you know, this is, this is for smart people. Um, I'm not cut out for this. I have no business flying airplanes. You know, this is not for me. Um, so it was hard to stay focused with that mindset. And it was, a, it was a horrible mindset. I don't know why that I thought that way, you know. Yeah. But that was kind of my whole life. I always would just count myself out of, out of everything, you know. And I'm like, oh, I can't do that. I can't do this, you know. And that's too hard. And um, so it really was a great challenge for me just to prove to myself that I, you know, that, that I can do things like that, you know. Um, right. But, yeah, so getting your private pilot license, there's certain requirements you have to meet. You need, um, I believe you need 10 hours of nighttime. No, I think you need three hours of, of nighttime. You need two cross-country flights, and a cross-country flight doesn't mean cross-country. It's any flight that's 50 miles, 50 nautical miles in distance, you know. So, you know, you have to do them by yourself. So you do it with your instructor first. Do it with your instructor a couple times just to be comfortable. Then you, you make your flight plan together. You go over it together, and then they endorse your logbook again, right? They give you a logbook endorsement. That, that's how you can fly by yourself before you but have now, your license. But now is all this crazy bananas expensive? Like, how do you... It's yeah, it's like, expensive, man. It's expensive. Like between the let, like you're talking about lessons, you're talking about flight schools, you're talking flight about flight like, lessons. Yeah, um, like uh, it's probably more than a guitar lesson. I oh, don't know. For sure. it's, it sounds like it's <laughs> oh a little more goodness. in depth. Yeah, it's you very know? expensive. Well, when you when you rent when you go for a flight lesson, you're renting the airplane and you're renting, you're paying for the instructor by the hour. So that's why it's very important to study before each lesson because if you don't study, you end up going to your lessons and you do the same thing every time because you're not reviewing and you can't move forward because you didn't get it what you're supposed to get last time. So freaking knowing your shit before you show up a flight lesson. Accountability, you know. Something I was kind of experiencing for you know on a serious level for the first time, you know. Um, so that really taught me, say, hey, you know, you got to pull your weight. This isn't free. Right. Um, you know, it's, uh, and I felt like I didn't deserve it, you know, but for me. So, I, and I knew, so, I'm like, I'm like, I'm not going to throw this away. I'm not going to waste this, you know. Um, right. So you kept so, pushing. And then, yeah. so <coughs> uh, you also had a buddy. We have a mutual friend there, Patrick Riley. Pat Riley. From Montauk. Yep, also yep, from yep. Montauk, New York. <laughs> He's a fellow pilot. And mm -hmm. uh, he mm -hmm. said he, you, he helped you out along the way, too, because he was a couple steps yeah, um, he did. ahead in the programs and, and kind of gave you some pointers, too, along the way as well. Yeah, Pat was always about a year and a half ahead of me um, with, with his flying career because he started when he went to college right away. Yeah. You know, I didn't start to kind of my second semester, then took a break, and then didn't really start until my second year. Right. And he went to, I forgot what college went to do, but he was down in Vero Beach, I think, Florida. Um, I think Florida Tech, that's where he learned. And uh, yeah, he was a good resource for me, you know. We weren't really that close growing up, but aviation, through aviation, we, we became really good friends, you know. And I, and I would call him often before I had a big flight test coming up. I'm like, Pat, like I'm, you know, I'm, I got, I got my, my, uh, my check ride tomorrow and I'm, you know, I'm really nervous. He's like, Shane, don't worry about it. It's all good. It's all confusing right now, but it's all going to make sense at the end. You know, I remember him telling me that a couple times. And uh, so he was a really, really good friend for me, a really good resource for me because I didn't know anybody in aviation it wasn't like my dad was a pilot and um, that I had a bunch of friends that were pilots or I went to this big flight school where everybody right, was a pilot, you know? Right. Um, so I really didn't have, not saying I had nobody to talk to, but no one really to relate to. 
Right, you weren't doctored into Chrome. Like, it wasn't like a family thing where it was like, yeah. your dad was a pilot, he was a pilot. Now you're yeah. this and, and, lineage in this school or whatever. Oh, is. yeah, and, and a lot of guys I fly with now, um, they're like, oh, my dad, my dad is, my dad's been a pilot forever, and my, you know, my, my uncle and his dad was in the Air Force, you know. So, um, right. You were kind of the lone thing in your family to do that, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, now, w- what's the hardest part of operating a plane itself? Like, what's the actual hardest mechanical, like, physical part of operating the plane? Like, what, what's, do you find is the most difficult aspect of your job? The most difficult aspect is it's the human factor. It's yourself. It's fighting complacency. You can't get complacent because, you know, you have a lot of these flights that are very long, not much is going on. You have to fight that urge to tune out. You really have to stay, you know, focused on what's going on. And I've always thought that the things happen at the worst times. So you, you can't just tune out because then if something happens, if there's an issue with the airplane, like a maintenance message comes up or... Um, you don't want to be tuned out and then say, oh my God, what's going on? You want to already be there in that moment. But it's hard because nothing's going on for hours. So it's it's the urge to, um, you know, complacency. Then there's fa- fatigue. Pilot fatigue is something that we kind of deal with. And there's a lot of rules and regulations, the rest requirements that we have to, to fight that. And they didn't used to have that back in the day. You know, you flew... You know, you you know, you flew twelve hours a day, and it was it was brutal, and you got not that much rest at the hotel. Now it's it's very all right. Eight hours a day, you need at least a minimum of ten hours of rest at the hotel. That's the minimum. You know, our our layovers have to be you know at least ten hours. That gives us an hour to get to the hotel, eight hours of rest at the hotel, and then an hour to get to the airport in the morning. You know, so it's it's now very it's a lot more. structured. Right. Yes. Yeah. And and relating back to like the seventies and eighties where it was like a wild, wild west. Yeah. You know, yeah. Did that. And you said no, like none of that stuff influenced you though. Like you didn't really see, oh, pilots a badass back in the seventies, like how it was glorified in movies and catch me if you can, and like all these, you know, movies growing up. That never really yeah. influenced you. It was it was no, more so just you kinda got thrown into this and, and you, you took it and ran and then once you realized you're like, Okay, this is my career, I'm just gonna dive into this and now Yeah. It was it was an opportunity that I kinda stumbled upon and that I you know, like I said before, I was like, Hey, I'm I'll, I'll if I'm wise, I'll I'll follow this through this opportunity. Did, did you know? it feel Did it feel even more real when you had your first passengers? Was that like the moment where you're like, "Fuck, I'm I'm now not only responsible for my dumbass, but I'm responsible for a hundred well, other dumbasses with me that are going to well, be on this, of, are flying my, in a metal bird in the air." At, you well, know, well, some of my first passengers, hour. some of my first passengers ever was not in like a big jet like now. It was in a Cessna taking. My friends up for a flight or my parents would come out to visit me. You know, I'd take my mom out when she came out to see me. I'd take my dad, you know, I took my dad flying in San Diego. Those are like my first Were they passages. nervous when your first times taking them yeah, out? Yeah, they were they nervous. Were like, my mom, um, you know, so it was things like that. And I, I took my dad um, and uh, my my dad's remarried. So him and his, his wife came out and I took them for a flight. We went out to Palm Springs. Oh, nice. We actually got stuck there for a couple of days. Oh, because so the we, weather? Like, yeah. Get out? Yeah, we flew into Palm Springs, you know, got lunch and I'm flying back out over the uh, Borrego Valley, getting back into San Diego, and I see a bunch of clouds and stuff. And I only had my private pilot license at the time. I wasn't allowed to go in there. Oh. So I was like, there's a saying in aviation, the hardest maneuver is, is the 180-degree turn, is when you go back. Because it's a real internal conflict. Like, oh, do I keep going forward, or, or do I wuss out and go back? You know, but you really, you know, pride is no place in the cockpit of an airplane. You got to be safe. Say, hey, you know what? I have some doubts about this. Freaking turning my ass around. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, we got stuck in Palm Springs for three days. We rented a car, just drove around, tried to make a tried to make a, a little mini vacation out of it. Um, it was cool. You know, like I said, we made the best of it. And uh, Right. So, but those were like my first passengers was like family and friends, you know. Um, and they trusted you. And then you, you figured it out from there. And then you made the next step in your program. And 
Yep. So you know. that was my first year in San Diego. My next, I, you know, I come home for the summer, do the Montauk thing. Then I go back the next September. The next rating is your instrument rating. Your instrument rating means, okay, you're still a private pilot, but now you're allowed to, fl- you don't have those weather restrictions like you did before. You can fly in clouds, low visibility, you know, things like that. And it's a whole... Because you're trusting your instruments. I'm assuming that's why you're... It's called the instrument rating. Yeah. And it's a whole another type of flying. And you're flying just by sole reference of your instruments. And that's a new skill that you have to learn. And it's it's pretty difficult because you're feeling all these sensations around you. You feel like you're sideways, up and down, but your instruments say your level. You need to trust. You need to overcome what you feel and trust your instruments. And that's a whole other license that you get in itself. So that was my second year in San Diego. I was going to be instrument rating. And that's the one I remember where I called Pat. And Pat's like, Shane, it's all confusing at first, but it's all going to make sense in the end. I'm like, okay, I trust you. Now, have you, you ever... At, now, I always think of a, of a plane as like this thing where you're flying and you're a pilot mm-hmm. and, you're, and then there's buttons you're clicking throughout the flight and you're turning certain things on and you're diffusing certain buttons and whatever it is. But like, mm-hmm. what if you click the wrong button? Like, what if, you, what if that just happened? Like, what if by accident you had a twitch and you just hit the wrong button next to it? Is it like... Would they not put two buttons that could be catastrophic next to each other? Like, how do they? How do you fail-proof a plane if there's human error? Well, in in the jet, there's certain switches that are guarded that you only press in an emergency, so that you don't hit it by accident. Like, there's a button that will depressurize the whole airplane, even if you're at freaking thirty thousand feet, but it's guarded with a with a switch. You know this uh, this cover. And in an event of an emergency, if you had to, if you did have to depressurize any switch that's guarded. Before you press it, both pilots have to confirm that switch because it's so important that you get it right and that you don't hit the wrong one. Right. So th- there's there's procedures and checklists, mostly pr- procedures that we learn in the sim in the simulators that that kind of ingrain those habits into us. And so know? that's scary. so with the simulator is all about them throwing cast- like catastrophic events in oh, your yeah. face, and oh, you yeah. just have to like <laughs> deal with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, do they make some of them impossible to do? So you just feel the pressure of like I just like whatever. Like how do they? Sometimes um, at the end of our sim session, um, if we have some extra time, like, hey, anything that you guys want to do, I'll be like, uh, last, time we, last time I went, I said, hey, I want to have, um, it's not that crazy, but I want to have an engine failure up at cruise altitude because I just wanted to see what actually, what would that look like if that happened, you know? So, so we do get to do fun things like that towards the end if we have any extra time. Nothing crazy or out of the question. But then, but, that, but then that, now you have that skill set that if that does happen, you feel comfortable because you've done it in a simulation. Yeah, exactly. And it's, you know, and it's not like, oh, I did it because we, we go to the sim once a year for re, recurrent training to, to refresh all these things for us. We have to go. Right. Okay. By, by the FAA says we have to have a certain amount of time in the classroom and the simulator every year for a proficiency check and things like that. Um, so yeah, you, you do it once a year. You're not necessarily a master of it, but when it does, you know, if, or when it does happen in real life, it's not completely foreign to you. You're not like, Oh shit, what do we do? Okay. No, right away. This is, this is the, this is the message we got. This is the checklist we're going to follow. You stay calm. You relax. No need to freak out. Just don't, you don't want to aggravate the situation and you just follow your checklist step by step. And that will guide you through. So really so. it's the checklist. The checklist is key in air and aviation. Checklist, checklist. Is, is life is everything, you know, keep it simple, stupid, follow There's the some, checklist. Some checklist, man, we got a freaking memorized, but you still look at it and you read it because that's, that's the, that's the, the airline culture. And that's, that's what they've trained us to do. And it's, you know, I, they really try to teach us good habits because, you know, habits are hard to shake. So if you have good habits, you'll, you automatically do those things, you right. know? So, um, and so with that, have, what's have, have you ever been in a really scary situation yourself or have you not kind of been there yet? It wasn't scary, but there's been things that have happened because of my experience, a little unnerving for me. 
But right. in, but now looking back, I'm I've been flying jets for six years now. Now looking back, I'm like, oh, that wasn't that bad. But at the time, I was a little little uneasy. But you know, you're with an experienced captain, and you know, and you're not you're not just there watching. You're you're part of the program. You know, you're participating and troubleshooting and um, crunching numbers and things like that. So right. Um, I wouldn't say scary situations, but there's definitely some tense moments every now and then that that pop up. And um, as you get more experience, those things don't tend to scare you anymore. It's you kind of just shake it off. Say, hey, you know what? Whatever it is, it is, and we deal with it. Being afraid is not going to help change you. my situation. So I might as well not. Don't be afraid. Don't let the nerves get the best of you. So, like you said before, the hardest part about flying the plane is is the human factor, the human element, because we get tired, we get scared, we get grumpy we get um you know anything uh you know our our our, our attitudes change you know you don't want to bring a bad attitude into the cockpit it's got to be you know neutral you know you're in a good mood you're ready to do your job so yeah but, but yeah it's it's overcoming the 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 human element of the whole operation is the biggest challenge is, is yourself that's that's my opinion that's what i think <laughs> wow yeah so that's and that's a good way to look at it too yeah. as well yeah. So how did you, like, develop the hand-eye coordination? Was it video games? Because I know me and you back in uh, high school played a lot of Gears of War. Was it, was that a, tra- you know what, <laughs> was that a transition? They told me playing video games would never get me anywhere in life. <laughs> and that was full of shit. <laughs> yeah. You played Gears of War, you chainsawed some people's heads off. I did. And you got that skill set. And I you, did, I did. Then you went and used the joystick in an aviation school, and now you're fucking flying jumbo jets, baby. Or jets. Well, it's funny because when I meet a pilot who's new... He's like, hey, man, it's my first day. I'm like, I say, you know what? If it's like a female pilot, probably not. But if it's a male pilot, I say, hey, man, this is like a video game that you're going to get really good at. <laughs> That's <laughs> what I tell them. Because it kind of is. It's a, it's, it's a digital screen in front of you with all your instrumentation, and it's all in one centralized area in front of you. And a lot of it is, you could say those skills. I'm not, you know, I, I can comfortably say, you know, playing video games as a kid, I'm certain that it helped me out, you know, so... Hey, I mean, if you know, if you're, if you're certain that it helped you out. <laughs> it's a video game. That's all it is. <laughs> yeah. So now that you've been doing this dance for, you know, a while now, you know, going back and forth, where's uh, some of the cool places that you've been? Because you said you're going bam, 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 city, 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 city. You're just going city after city, right? Yeah. All across the U.S.? Yeah, you know, so, so the jet that I fly, it doesn't go across the ocean. From the main hubs, the big major airports that we all know, like uh, JFK, Atlanta, Detroit, Charlotte, uh, Raleigh, North Carolina... Minneapolis, all those places. From there, it's kind of like the hub and spoke model. So from those bases, I will go out and serve the smaller, the smaller cities. You know, right. Um, so I haven't been anywhere like exotic, anywhere cool. Like Pat, Pat Riley, man, he flies to like Africa, Amsterdam. He's always in Europe and stuff. And you know, I, I've kind of joked with him on the phone before. I'm like, hey, man, where are you? He's like, oh, dude, I'm in Amsterdam. I just had freaking like bratwurst and life is good. I'm like, I'm in Pittsburgh eating freaking Seven Eleven pizza right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like that's my layover, dude. No, damn. No, but I, I do go to some cool places. Um, Halifax, Nova Scotia is really cool. Wow, I've been there a bunch of times. You know, stay downtown, and um, those are usually like the thirty-hour layovers. So we get two nights there, and it's it's really cool. Really? So they'll like put you up, they get you right. Oh, well, obviously they put you. They like put you up. I know. Like, yeah, no <laughs> shit. I'm like no, I gotta pay for my own hotel. <laughs> Forget. It. I wouldn't have lasted one week. <laughs> Could you imagine? Oh man. Um, but yeah, that that's really cool. Um, Montreal's really cool up in Canada. In the wintertime, it's like just gorgeous, you know, because that river's frozen, and that's really cool. Uh, New Orleans is, is really cool. Going out to Florida's cool. Kind of the typical places that you think would be cool. Uh, Nashville's super fun, obviously. Now, w- what's your favorite place to see, like, when you're in the air? Is it the Grand Canyon? Is it, like, Mount Rushmore? Like, what's the coolest thing you've ever flown over where you're like, damn, that looks really sick from the airplane? Honestly, it's New York City. It's 
Manhattan. Really? It's man. It's so. It's it's insane. Is it nostalgic? Are you biased because you're nostalgic from home? It's like, oh, you know, I'm back home, or is it not is, really? You think man, that's a bias, or no? E- even people that I fly with, and the people you fly with, they're, they're from all over the country. You know, I happen to be in New York, and I drive to JFK. You know, but um, but yeah, like especially at nighttime with the lights, you're just like, I can't believe that's like, it's just insane. And and when we're like, we'll be like 200 miles out to the west going towards New York on a clear night, you could start to see the glow of the city and you come in and it's, you could see it from so far away. But yeah, I mean, when you see New York City from the air, it just really puts it in, into perspective how, how big that place is. And the thing is living in New York, I thought that all cities were like New York City, but they're not, you know, like, like <laughs> but, they're, but they're, they're not, not. <laughs> no, but like, you know, you go to, let's say Cleveland, for example, you know, the, the buildings, the downtown area is just a small part of it. And then the whole rest of it is Cleveland. But New York City, the whole thing is skyscrapers. The whole thing is like that. You right. Know there's I mean? nowhere else like that on Earth. It's, no. And there's really not. I no. mean, maybe, who knows, Shanghai or something. Right. I've like, never been over right, there. Right. Bangkok but. or somewhere crazy, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure, is like that with all the skyscrapers. But, yeah. you know, you got to think. I mean, yeah, New York City's in, it's just even LA is the same thing. You got the skyscrapers downtown. There's only a few of them. And then you got yeah. maybe Century City. There's a few skyscrapers. Yeah. And there's a few skyscrapers in, in you know, West Hollywood or something. And then, yeah. Yeah. really, there's there's nothing. I mean, there's a couple in Santa Monica downtown, but yeah. or uh, on the west side. But there's LA is just a massive spread city like that. It is. Too. Yeah. It is. But yeah, like, yeah. like I said, like it's just the whole thing is skyscrapers. It's freaking blows my mind. And I'm not really much of a city guy. I really don't go to New York City that much. But not um, really flying out of it all the time. You, you know. Well, the thing is, I just, man, I go to work. I go to LaGuardia or JFK, and I fly around for four or five days, and I come home, and I don't really leave, you know. Is there um, anywhere you're dying to go to fly, like anywhere you're trying to really visit? Yeah. Um, not not to even maybe work, but maybe just to go and oh, visit oh, on oh, a trip. Oh, for sure, like, for sure. You know. um, I mean, growing up surfing, I've all my destinations have been like mostly, I've gone somewhere because there's waves, like Nicaragua. Why the hell would you ever go to Nicaragua? Because there's waves there, that's why. Otherwise, there's nothing there. It's a third world country, you know. Um, but I would love to go to Germany. Um, my grandpa was stationed there in the Air Force, and he always talked about how much he loved it there. And uh, I'd like to check that out one day. Um, I'd like to go to Portugal because I'm Portuguese. Never been. Never there. been to Portugal. Never been to Portugal. I really. I only went. To, it's beautiful. Yeah, I, I, I've heard. I heard, and that's like the new place to go. Yeah, my my whole family's went. My, my sisters and my mom went, and a lot of surf. Yeah, that's the thing too. Now, and why I never not? Now, but thought, if you, you know? but if, but if you have such a passion for surfing, I was going to say, like Pat does, you know, yeah. why not do the international flights and do and go to those places so you can maybe get surf time? Or I mean, I doubt he surfs in his spare time when he's doing that shit anyway. But yeah, you know. So the airline that I fly for, I'm at the regional side of that airline. So right now, I'm really only allowed to fly the regional jets that that connect the cities. But about two or three years, I'll I'll, I'll flow into into the main line like where Pat is now. Um, and I'll, I'll be doing all that stuff too. But for now, I'm kind of paying my dues, and this is kind of what we all have to do. Pat had to do it, right? And things like that. Because like this I said, is Pat, important. Pat's this is important for people to know because if somebody's listening right now and they want to yeah. get into aviation, yeah, they need to know that there's steps and trials and tribulations, and, and there's you know there, there's levels to this. Yeah. And, so and you're, you keep you're, you keep you got to keep pushing through that thing, and you got to keep oh pushing through that thing, and you got to keep. You know, right, what? I was actually thinking non-stop. about this today. I, I went for a bike ride today, and I was just thinking about this. Um, if I had known all the shit that I was going to have to do to become an airline pilot. I might not have done it. And it was almost it was almost a blessing in disguise that I didn't know anything about aviation. I didn't know any pilots. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. And I think that's that's what helped me because if I had known, like I said, how long it was like it was like six and a half years from my first flight lesson to becoming a to touching the flight controls of a jet, you know. I didn't think it was gonna take I didn't I didn't know how long it was gonna take. I don't think it was gonna take that long, but and just the ups and downs and so many setbacks and things like that. It's it's you really have to commit to it. And I think it's like that for a reason because you, you have to really want to get it because um, it's going to keep those people out. You know, those walls are up to keep 
keep people out in a sense, you know? So that's really what the barrier is. I always wondered in my head, you know, what's stopping some just regular idiot becoming it's a pilot just, and whatever. Oh, man, like it's, it, it's, that's what it is. It's, it's trials and it's the levels that you have to push through. They made it tiered on purpose. So you can't just like be that guy that's, Oh, I'm not interested anymore. Yeah. And that's why I don't really, I'm not going to try today. You know, like, yeah. I mean, so <laughs> I'm not comparing this to the Navy SEALs at all, but in the Navy SEALs, they try to get you to quit because they want to see who's, you know, they want to see who can going. take it. Right. So, you know, again, nothing like that, but I'm just saying it's like, you're going to quit yet? You're going to quit yet? And and there was some times where I almost did quit. You know, I remember I called my mom. I'm like, I'm freaking had enough of this. I'm coming home. I can't do this. This is too hard. And I talked to my dad. He's like, all right, man, well, come on the plumbing truck with me tomorrow. And I'm like, uh, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll keep going. <laughs> but, uh, but you know what? I remember saying to myself, I'm like, you know what? I know as long as I don't quit, I'll eventually get this. I'll eventually get this. And, and, I, and, and it all worked out. When did, the, my, when did the comfort level change when were you like okay i can do this um, well when were you just like okay this is my career i'm loving this now and this is me like this is what's going on um when i was about to become a flight instructor because when you get your commercial pilot's license it doesn't mean commercial jets commercial means you're allowed to get paid to fly now right right that doesn't mean you can just fly jumbo jets yeah right. yeah so um so yeah so you have about 250 hours at that point but the airlines you need 1500 hours so now you got to find a job flying. It's usually a shitty job flying small airplanes, building your flight time. And I think the best way to do it is to become a flight instructor. Some guys, they, they'll tow banners, they'll do skydive, you know, jump, jump flights. Uh, but yeah, I, be I became a flight instructor, which that is really hard to do too. Um, but I knew it was the right route to take because that in a sense also makes you a really good pilot because now you're teaching people. So you become, you know, your, right. your knowledge and skills goes through the roof. Um, and and, and, I, uh, and you learn the rudimentary things that are like yeah like like you, they're so in, embedded at that point that you're you know it like clockwork yeah and now you're in the right seat of the little airplane and your students in the left seat and you're you're showing them the ropes you're you're you know and I I think I made about maybe ten or eleven private pilots you know I got some students to solo and those are really re rewarding moments for me because I remember you were that guy I was that kid once too and I never thought I'd be a flight instructor I thought flight instructor man you got to be but if you, if you believe in it, have faith, and even things, if something looks impossible, I mean, you'd, you'd be surprised what can happen if, if you don't quit, you know? Um, but well, yeah, and, and, and I loved relating to my students because when they struggled with something, I said, hey, man, I remember I had a, I had a tough time with this too, but, but if I can do it, you can do it. And I would, I'd say that a lot to people, and I still say that to people to this day. I saw some... Well, I think that's a... You're the shining example, and I don't mean to say that like you're not, like you're not this or you're not that... But like when you look at a guy like you, you're you're like the goofy guy. You're like the funny guy. <laughs> like you're not, you know, like you said, you didn't take school very serious. You weren't this like academia yeah, kind yeah. of guy. Yeah. But but you persevered and you kept going and kept going. You didn't give it up and and you know now you're a fucking pilot and you got buddies in Montauk that are your friends and you know they're yeah. on fishing boats and doing cool you know their thing and doing their yeah, shit. Yeah. But it's like you know by land by sea you're by air baby. I know. You're, you're I know. You're, I know. You're flying. It's uh. It's pretty. It's crazy. I know, and I really never had high expectations for myself in life. Like, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do. I guess I'll be a plumber with my dad, and that'll be that. But I I didn't hate plumbing, but as a kid, I'm like, man, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life, you know? And I did that with my dad for, for, for years, you know? And, right. Um, and, that's, and I'm glad I did that. It taught me work ethic and how to, you know, push through a, a, a tough day and, to, you know. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, I... Was that, a, was that a plumbing joke? Push through a tough no, day? No, it wasn't, but it, it could be. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's just you, you can't, uh, you know, like you said, you, you can't look back once you've already started and, and yeah. 
yeah. like you what was it what you said the the quote when you're in the air it's like the the 180 degree turn is the hardest that's the hardest maneuver because that's the hardest maneuver because right. again that human factor you're it's a conflict with yourself now what am i going to do what am i going to do and a lot of being a pilot is you know evaluating the decisions and the outcomes and sometimes you don't have much time to decide you got to decide can i ask quick. you a crazy question of course <laughs> kobe bryant the helicopter oh yeah 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 that pilot yeah. Was so, that was that that moment for him where he was like, "Okay, I should have turned around." Yeah. Or was yeah. it? Or I'll, was it like you, I should have yeah. trusted my instruments? Like, what was his? I guarantee you, he didn't want to go, and the company was forcing him to go. This Kobe Bryant, you have to go. It's fucking Kobe Bryant. We can't turn him down. We have to go. So oh, really, you think it was like I that? I guarantee it. I fucking guarantee it. Um, basically, on that day, remember, like I said, there's you know there's the visual flight rules where you need X amount of visibility. Right. An X amount of, you know, cloud height to go visual, okay? There's an exemption that you can go under. Um, if there's a mile visibility and you can remain clear of clouds, it's called the special VFR clearance, where you don't have to do an instrument flight, but it's not really a visual flight either. And that's very risky, okay? Especially in California where there's mountains everywhere, okay? Because right. there could be, a, you're flying on site. You're not using instruments. You don't have any obstacle clearance uh, guarantees that you're above anything. This is all on you, okay? And that special VFR thing, that's not something that you want to do in a place like Southern California because of the mountains and things like that. You really don't want to do that anywhere. It's not smart. You want to file that instrument flight plan where you know no matter what happens with the weather, I have my instruments. I'm going to be okay. So I guarantee he didn't, I guarantee the pilot didn't want to do it, but he was pressured from his boss. It's Kobe Bryant. You got to go. And... um. I don't really, you know, I don't want to, his biggest mistake wasn't the fact that he, you know, crashed into the mountain. His biggest mistake was not following his instincts and saying, I'm refusing this flight. You see what I'm saying there? Right. Like he didn't take that 180 turn. He, yeah. He, it's once, Bryant, you got to freaking go. But now, you know? but do you think once he was in the air, he sensed that there was low visibility and oh, he yeah. knew the conditions were shit? Like he, you, yep. you didn't think he, once he was in the air, he was like, I can't do this. I got to turn around. I bet when he was in the air, he's like... In his mind, I should not be up here right now. This is not a good idea. But it's legal. Not safe, but legal. And that's that's a bit of a challenge with... I mean, and he was a lifelong pilot. The guy was like yeah, decorated yeah. decorated pilot in a, in a solid aircraft. Like, wasn't a... You yeah. Know, and, 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 and his mistake wasn't, oh, he hit a mountain. His mistake was just going in the first place. Because once he was up there flying under those rules and under that those conditions, the best pilots in the world would have had a very difficult time with that. So it's... It's wow, yeah. It's so crazy. Uh, that's that's a hot take. Hope that for makes sure. sense. Yeah, that's yeah. you know because I have some pilot friends. We're talking about it, and, and we're like, yeah, I guarantee they were like. That's the general sense in the aviation world right now. Yeah, is uh, it's Kobe Bryant. You got to go, and and I, I've been in those pressure situations where it's like you know, we call it the S word. I think in the interest of safety, we should wait. We should wait thirty minutes for the weather to get better before we take off. Once you say the S word. The dispatchers are the people that are, that make the flight plans and stuff and, and coordinate things for you. Then they kind of okay, okay, well, you know, they kind of back off a little bit, but they want you to go because it's it's a business. You have to go and right. Um, well, and I would assume flight schedules in general are yeah. like this insanely tight timetable. I mean, yeah. I remember when somebody showed me a map one time of like all the planes in the U.S. flying at the same time. That's nuts. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck is this? I've seen that too. It's like I'm a like, million oh. fucking flying things all in the air. How do they? How does everyone? Yeah. My thing, how do they coordinate all this shit? Like, are they are they flying like one is a one's a certain altitude yes, and the others yep. at an altitude? Yeah. So you're breaking altitudes. Is that how it is? So it's it's you know there's 
Is it like what five hundred feet difference between like one out? Like what? I don't know. What is it? It's a it's a thousand feet. Um, oh wow, that little! So, so a thousand feet between each plane. Above twenty nine thousand feet, that's called RVSM airspace, and that stands for reversed vertical separation minimums. Whoa! Um, so to go on that to go above twenty nine thousand feet, you need you know you need certain uh, equipment requirements because now it's very it's very precise. Right. You know, you need, uh, you know, both of, you know, your altimeters need to be working and your altimeters can't be X amount of, your altimeter is what tells you what your altitude is. You know, they both have to agree within 200 feet. So we know there's no error. Right. Um, you know, you, you have to use autopilot up in RVSM because autopilot is, you know, it flies the plane a lot better than we do. And it's very precise. So they separate us by altitude and also by spacing. So we'll be on an airway. Say I'm going to LaGuardia. There's a thousand airplanes going to LaGuardia that day. Um, all at the same time, sometimes it seems like. So let's say I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina. I'm going to LaGuardia. If it's busy up there, they might hold us on the ground for maybe 30 minutes, and then we'll go for spacing. So, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll keep an aircraft, you know, uh, 50 miles ahead of us. And if we're getting too fast, let's say, hey, what's your airspeed? Oh, we're doing, a, you know, they actually don't use airspeed at a certain point. They use um, Mach. Right. Like, like 1.0 is the speed of sound. Mach 1.0. Right. We usually fly it. Mach 0.77. So say, uh, what's your Mach number? Oh, we're doing Mach 7.7. What's this guy's Mach number? Oh, he's doing Mach 7.4. They're either going to tell him to speed up or else to slow down, and they keep that spacing. So it's spacing the on the whole airways. time. Flight control is telling you that whole air traffic control. Yeah, air traffic control. Um, right. Yeah, they. You know, and uh, you know, and you have to pay attention. And you, you, again, it's the human factor. It's complacency. It's you know, because they'll say, "Hey, uh, you guys, you there?" and well, and there's distractions. There's like flight attendants knocking on the door. Would you like a coffee? You oh, know, yeah. there's oh, like yeah. all these little Every things. Every 15 and... minutes, oh, it's cold back here. I'm like, okay, we're warming it up. If it warms up, cool. If not, I'm sorry, but stop calling us. Like you I'm know, flying a plane. Little <laughs> things like that, you know. But but now with the whole mask, you know, we won't have to get the masks, but there's been more of that because this guy in 12D won't put his mask on. We're like, like we got to fly, we got to touch this plane down now in, in, in Mississippi because this dickhead won't put a mask on. Well, or whatever. it's not like we're going to touch down now and say, okay, thanks for letting us know. We'll call ahead. They'll have someone meet him at the gate and they'll talk to him. You know, it's a lot oh, of that shit now. Right. You know, it's, it's a lot of that. Um, so, um, but Damn. yeah, they, they do. You got to babysit now. And I don't, I don't blame them because they don't know what's going on up front. Sometimes they'll call us the worst time and we'll be like, what? They're like, it's cold. I'm like, okay, goodbye. You know, it's, <laughs> um, but you know, but you can't be short with them. You have to, you know, because you want them to feel comfortable contacting you. Right, right. If something's going on, I want them to feel comfortable and, and tell me. I don't want to say, oh, well, this guy's sick back here, but I don't want to piss Shane off. Right. Or whoever the captain right. is, you know, who, you know. Right. So it's, you know, at the end of the day, it's an airplane, but it also is a, a professional environment with coworkers, and, and it's it's a lot to juggle. What's that balance <laughs> like? Like, what I, I was asking you the yeah. question off air, like, when people talk to, like, people in general, yeah. you know, <laughs> consensus of the TSA and... Yeah. You know, people that work in airports, it's like generally everybody's an asshole, like blah, blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what made me take my shoes off and this and yeah. that. Like you said, I, I was saying like, you know, is it different for pilots and people that are in the industry? Do they treat you guys less like shit? And you were like, eh, well, kind of. You know, well, we're, well, when we're in our uniforms, they're, they're not going to treat us just like the general public. Um, right. But, um, you know, they do have to, they work for the DHS and they do have to hold their ground and enforce the rules and that's fine. Um. You know, and we respect the rules. It, it's in your favor to just do what they say and, and play along, you know. Right. Um, but we do have our own security checkpoint that we go to. at the, the, the major airports have that, and we scan our badge, and our picture comes up, and they let us do Just because, you know, the pilots and the flight times have to wait in this huge security line, you know. Um, so it, it is a privilege to be able to do that, and you have to treat it like that. It's not a right. Um, so you have to be respectful of the TSA, even though they can be a little bit annoying sometimes and get on your nerves. 
but that's the game you play along. Um, so yeah, I mean, and it's it's tough. I mean, you're in that uniform and everyone's looking at you, and if you do the wrong thing, say the wrong thing, it's you know, it's 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 fragile. So right, and and you kind of have to be. You have to walk around with a certain level of confidence. Like you can't walk around the airport looking like a like your head's in the clouds and you're like not paying attention or right, you're like right, yeah. But you look you look silly walking around. People are gonna be like, That guy's a pilot? My like that first, guy's flying my plane. <laughs> my first day as an airline pilot, I go through that little security thing that I told you about and I was shaking, you know. I'm like, Oh my god, I, I can't believe this is like this is my goal for the past six years and now it's here and I'm like don't think I'm ready for this, <laughs> you know. Um But uh but yeah, you know, it's um I was walking through the airport. I remember walking up to the gate, and and you could feel everyone's eyes looking at you. And in training, they say, look, when you walk up to the gate, everyone's going to put their phones down, and they're going to look at you. So don't be picking your nose or nothing. <laughs> so, like, who's uh, flying my plane? I know. So, yeah, so you do have to, you know, I, and one of our flight attendants one time, we're at the gate. We're kind of debriefing, and he's got his earbuds in, and he's drinking out of his Slurpee that he has. And I'm like, dude, come on, man. Like, Come on. <laughs> put, put it together, dude. Get yeah, a whiskey. It's like, not that that was bad, but yeah, I know. <laughs> no, but I was just like, you you don't want to, you don't want to eat in front of the passenger, you know, not not like right, that, you know, right, not a um, Slurpee. Show some respect. Yeah, and he has earbuds in. We're not supposed to have that in the view of the public with ear, you know, earbuds in, and and but yeah, you do have to be careful of what you say and and what your your demeanor is at the airport, you know, for sure. So yeah, but I'm not saying oh, it's really hard to do that but because you know. Just don't act like a shithead. Don't fine. act like a shithead. Right. You heard good. it here first, guys. Don't act like a shithead <laughs> at the airport. Yeah. Essentially. Exactly. Or on an airplane. Or on the airplane. For- Dude, it cracks me. It's, well, it doesn't crack me up. It like, <laughs> it like scares me when I see these stories. Like people are like, assaulting flight attendants or like causing yeah. a ruckus on an airplane. Like, dude, you're in the air. I know. Like, I know. It if, blows me like away. you're an idiot. Just sit out, like fight everybody when you get to the destination. But like, yeah, it's like, while this plane is in the air and we're all at stake, like sit the fuck down and like, chill out. Like, all you got to do is just sit there <laughs> and chill. That's all you got to do. People um, get so aggro on airplanes, man. What is it? Do you think it's like the claustrophobic nature? Do you think it's the recycled air? Like the, the stale air, like, what do you think it is that gets people so fucking hot and bothered on an airplane? Is it that they had to stand in line for two hours and do all the bullshit? Yeah. Like, what so, is So, people don't like to be told what to do, and people like to be in control. That the second you walk into an airport, you're being told what to do, and you have no control over your life of what's going on. Okay, you get on the airplane, <laughs> hey, whatever right. happens, happens. I have to sit here in the back of this hot, sweaty airplane... It's LaGuardia. It's going to take an hour to get off the ground. <laughs> it's hot. I, you know, I don't want to be here. And and uh, if you get all those people in the same, all together, you know, it's it's um, tensions are high. And you could you could sense that at airports sometimes. You know, yeah. Like I walk up to the gate. It's like a busy Friday afternoon in the summer. The airport's <clears throat> packed. Traffic is bad. I just look at the floor. Walk up to the gate. I know everyone just wants no bullshit. They want to get to their destination. So. Um, it's again, it's, it's, it's like I said, it's no one likes to be told what to do and everyone likes to be in control. And when you're on an airport on an airplane, you don't have those things. And I think that's, that's what it is. And then with all the COVID stuff going on, I think people are a little more on edge than they, than they usually are. So. Right. Yeah. It's, it's tensions are high no matter what it yeah. is. Yeah. So breaking out of just the actual structural of, of flight and everything, yeah. what would you tell your friends if, if somebody came up to you and was like, Hey man, or what did your friends say when you're like, I want to fly planes? Did they laugh or they were like, Shane, get the fuck out of here. You. I, they laugh, but I laugh too. <laughs> so you laughed with them. It's like, yeah, I'm taking flying lessons. They're like, okay. I'm like, yeah, you know, see what happens. That's cool. And then what, what? And then when they saw you stick with it, it was like, damn, Shane's actually flying. 
yeah, more or less, you know, and then, and then I'd go to San Diego for the winter. I'd come home for the summer and I'd see everybody again and say, oh my God, yeah, you're, how's flying going? You know, and that's kind of, and I'd say, oh, it's, it's going good. It's, um, you know, I was just, I'm out in San Diego going to flight school and things are good. And, and now it's like everywhere I go and I'm sure Pat will tell you the same exact story. It's you walk into a crowd of people and they're all going to ask you, how's flying going? Where do you fly? What kind of plane do you fly? Who do you fly for? You know, it's right. It, it's all the same rhetorical, same con- I mean, I have the same conversation, you know, well, that's why we're making this podcast so people can just listen to this. Right, right. When people are like, Shane, what are you doing? Be like, I don't, just listen to the Ryan's podcast and you'll figure out all the information yeah, you need to know. Yeah. I, just don't ask me. We're good. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> and now I'm so used to it. And my friends that I'm with all the time, they're usually with me now when this happens and they'll be like, I've heard this, I've heard this conversation so many times. I'm sick of it. I'm like, you're sick of it. I'm sick of it, you know? Right, but, like I live it. <laughs> but that's, that's the nature of, that's, that's the job, you know? And people want to know and... So, uh, you know, side note, how do you still find time to catch waves with all this going on? Do you still, have you, <laughs> what's going on with that? And Montauk's a very lucrative place for waves. Where, where has it been? Yeah. Um, well, fortunately, I've, I've been a co-pilot for the past few years, and I've got some good seniority, so I do get a decent amount of days off, and I do get the weekends off and the holidays off. So I have plenty of time to go surfing. You know, nice. there's waves and plenty of time to do other things that I like to do. So, you know. How do you feel Montauk as a whole this summer was, uh, was it, was it not your style? Oh, it was, it was way too busy. <laughs> way too busy. Now, have you realized it's busier than years past? Yeah, for sure. For sure. And you're from Montauk. Like how's the demographic change yeah, too? I mean, and you've seen it change rapidly in front of your eyes, right? Yeah. I mean, Montauk was always a tourist town and that's fine. I get it. It's a tourist town, but it was always like the New York city firemen would come out with their families and things like that. And like some guy from Nassau County would bring his family for the yeah, weekend. And like or. it was a place regular people can come to and enjoy. Um, but it's, it's just a different crowd now. And now you got to have money to come out there. And it's, right. and, um, it's sad to see a change, you know, cause that's not, I feel like that's not really what Montauk is. All these people want to come out and pay all this money to see Montauk, but they're not seeing Montauk anymore. You know, you're not going to, you know, you're, you're at some fancy posh restaurant looking at the water eating an expensive meal, drinking a super expensive drink, whatever. You're not, that's, you're not getting Montauk. Montauk is easygoing and laid back and it's a place that anybody can. Right. Montauk's a, a cold fucking Budweiser out of a plastic yeah. cup <laughs> at Liars or at Montauk at yeah, or just baked clams and some like fresh seafood. Like, yeah. And, 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 and I, and I get it, man. Times change and, um, there's, ex- you know, I'm not saying you can't have the fancy expensive restaurants, but not every place has to be like that. So where, so do you think, are, are we like past the point of no return here? Is it like, can Dude. we drastically make a shift? Can we make that 180 maneuver right now? Or is it like, <laughs> we're already, we're already too far. We're, we're gone. We might be too far in most aspects. Yeah. Because now everybody knows about Montauk and people have known about Montauk, but now it's reality TV celebrities and, and reality celebrities TV. and the home prices. So and in a sense, just, in that sense, we've, we've gone past the point of no return. Any of the home prices, you know, and it's so sad, you know, that I'll never be able to buy a house in my hometown. And, and a lot of my friends feel the same way. And, uh, I mean, you can right? the argument, any real estate agent will make that argument. Oh, you can, man. It's the same price as rent. You can pay. Yeah. Yeah. You can pay. But it's like, no, but then you have to literally not ever take a vacation. That's longer than two weeks for the rest of your life. Cause I you know. have to pay that mortgage. Your mortgage is $4,000 a month. Right. So it's like, it's, people can say, you yeah. know, that argument and say, Oh yeah, yeah, you're, you're just wasting money renting. Like, yes, we get it. We understand. But like, we also don't want to be tied down to a $800,000 brick 
brick on our ankles that we have to now can never not that you might have the freedom to like maybe shift between jobs and have yeah. some time off to travel or do something because yeah. you need to spend that. And who money. knows, you might screw up and foreclose on your more. Now, now you can never buy a house anywhere. You know, it's just it's, <laughs> right. It's just yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's, it's just impossible to have that yeah. out here. And, and like you said, it, it sucks as locals growing up out here to, to have that shift because there isn't anything like that. And, yeah, and, yeah. And, and Montauk, I will say for business is weird because you can actually find some decently priced year round business opportunities Yeah, yeah because course, Montauk is just so seasonal as compared to East yeah. Hampton or like, yeah. you know, Southampton or whatever, where you can't find a decent year round like yeah. retail spot. Mm-hmm. But Montauk, you can actually find decent, some kind decent spots. Yeah. But it's just like, you know, there's no, you're not going to make your money if you're. You know, if it's not summer. Yeah, yeah, I, I know, I know. And it's sad because I, I know people who have, like, it was their dream to have a restaurant in Montauk and they finally got it going. And, man, they couldn't last one winter and their dream was shattered, you know. So, right. And that's sad, you know. And I don't want to see that happen to anybody, you know. And I, you know, I want everyone to make money and that that's cool, you know. But, again, it's just um, these people that are coming out to see Montauk, they're not really seeing Montauk. They're seeing a, a very dolled-up version of it, you know. Right. And, and I think people would like to see it more of how it was. So what do you, what do you think, what do you think citizens can do to kind of bring back traditions of Montauk? Do you think it's like, have more like, I don't know, chowder contests, have more fishing contests, have more like, you know, local community music things or like have more, like, is that it? Is that the way to approach kind of bringing back the community essence or, or is it kind of, is that gone too? You know, I wouldn't say that that's gone. And again, I'm no expert on this, but, um, you know, there was a movement, quite a few years ago that my, my grandfather and his friends were actually part of to get Montauk to become its own town. And right now there's only so much we can do because it's, we're living in Montauk, but we're a town of East Hampton. So the East Hampton government is what controls Montauk. So I think if, you know, if that, if that, if people started talking about that idea more of Montauk becoming its own in, incorporated town or village, wow. or whatever it's called, yeah, I think that would be, um, that is how you would, you know, turn it around. So, so you're saying incorporate Montauk as its own town. Yeah. And I think that's the best way to, you know, some things are changed for good, but I think Montauk becomes becoming its own town. Then we'll have more say in what goes on. We'll have, we'll have our own mayor. We'll have all this and that, you know? And, um, I think that's, that's the way to do it. Montauk is, a, uh, you know, East Hampton town, they make a lot of money off, off of Montauk. And my beef is that's that a good point. they can, and I don't blame them. I would do the same freaking right, thing. Right, 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 right. But they're like, hey, we can send all the riffraff out to Montauk. We don't have to see any of it. We can make all the money off of it. And it can just be out there. And East Hampton can still be nice. Interesting. So that's why take. they've got a, a death grip on it. Wow. And, uh, Shane. Yeah. So wow. that's, you know, there you go, baby. <laughs> that was the take of the year. Mm-hmm. East so. Hampton Town shoves all their riffraff in Montauk, gives all the bullshit out to Montauk. You know, and I'm not, I'm not knocking. No, that's that's fucking. You spot on, dude. Yeah. That's literally what it is. You called it as it is. Yeah, and I'm again, I'm not knocking them. That's they're smart to do that for and for a business well, standpoint, I'm, you know. But that's that's kind of you how, notice how they haven't touched Springs yet, right? Yeah. Well, you better watch out. <laughs> you better not cry. Well, the, yeah. <laughs> oh my god. You know, um, Guy Fieri's going to build a six story. Burger Ranch next to our yeah, fucking a Swiss cheese house. That's <laughs> for sure. We're uh, we're lucky in Springs and in our neck of the woods, but you yeah. know we won't be for long because you know the most houses that got sold during this pandemic was out in Springs. So yeah, not uh, that means you know that means yeah we're next. yeah for sure. So hopefully not. But um, you know it's not 
you know, we don't go around and yelling at people and being mean, nasty locals, but go about our business and do the right thing. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll be rewarded for that. You know, it's not like, oh, we got to fight back. It's just, you know, um, be a good person, be a good host and do the right thing. And I think we'll, we'll be re- rewarded for that, you know. Yeah. And I, and I um, think as, as the town realizes that there has been such a shift, you know, because yeah, yeah. now they can see census numbers, whereas, you know, we were waiting 10 years to see the census and we saw the census report yeah, that came yeah. out and it was the crazy jump. I think it was like 35% or something increase in population. Yeah. Maybe even more. I might be downplaying that, but like, that's insane. And then you get that and it's like, okay, that was pre pandemic numbers. Yeah. That probably doubled in the pandemic. So now you have like a 60% population increase in 10 years. Mm-hmm. What, what was the infrastructure change? We didn't make the roads better. We didn't make the electric nicer. We didn't make the... The sure water, the septic the better, nicer. Yeah. We didn't make anything nicer. So what? We're gonna have five times yeah. the amount of people, but yeah. but no, you know, infrastructure to match it. It's gonna the town's you know gonna turn to shit. I heard my dad make a really interesting point one day. He goes, you know, the town isn't designed for this many people. No, it's not made to have this many people. Out here. It's not. That's why it's impossible to get anywhere. And and I mean, and it is frustrating in the summertime. Like, I don't go out to dinner because uh, I can't. I, I don't go. I go to the grocery store. I mean, I got I go to IG. I got to time it. I go like seven in the morning, where all the, when all the old people go, because that's the only time I can go without ripping my hair out. You know, right? And it shouldn't be like that. Just just to conduct the normal my normal life, it's got to be. Well, Montauk a- is even harder in the summer because you guys have less options in East Hampton. It's not like East Hampton where it's like stop and shops the zoo. And then the, the IGA is on the skirts, like Amagansett know, and East Hampton is like okay, they're a little more mellow. Yeah, but yeah. fucking stop and shops the zoo. Yeah, well, what I do like to do is I like to ride my motorcycle to the IGA in Amagansett sometimes. That's I like. You got a motorcycle? Yeah, yeah. Nice man. What you got? What you it's, working it's with? It's a uh, Kawasaki uh, KLR six fifty. Oh, I forgot you were a dirt biker back in the yeah, day. Yeah, 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 man. Yeah, I, I wish got I still Shane was, was a little but... ripper there back in the day. Yeah, you and and Tyler and uh, yeah, Brenty and the crew. Yeah, the whole crew. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, there's just nowhere to ride on Long Island anymore. So that's kind of put the did they close down Yapank? Yapank's been closed after Superstorm Hurricane Sandy. They they closed Yapank down. Really? Yeah, because they they leveled the track. Like I think they saw it as an opportunity to just let's make a new track, and they just never built another one. And now there's like a factory over it, of course. So really, see, I didn't even notice that it closed. Yeah, if it was open, man, I'd still be going there every Thursday night. That's when we used to, we used to get a whole crew from Montauk when we were kids. It was such a good time, man. And my dad or or one of our friends' dads would big Gino with the with the snack truck. Selling. Gino, you know him? Yeah, dude. How do you know Gino? I used to go to Yap Hank. No freaking! Oh yes, I used okay, to I used okay. to go with the Plitz and uh, like Mike go with some and people. Stuff. Yeah, I used yeah, to go yeah, with some yeah. Springers and yeah, head up man. there. Hey. Yeah, um, yeah, th- those were really good good times, man. I I cherish those. I, I actually raced um, Unadilla this summer. Went upstate to the pro really? national. Get yeah, out of here! And they let the amateurs ride the pro track. And I actually that's the first race I entered in years. Yeah, it was really fun. Get out of here! And but how did you you haven't like raced in so long? No, I've so raced what, in so long. Um, so what you you just kind of. I kind of cruised around. I wasn't battling people really. I was just felt so good to be out there on my dirt bike where I want to be, you know, and it was cool. That's so crazy. And that track is so iconic. It's like over 50 years old. And I'm like, when do you get to, to do this? You know? No, that's so, so fucking sick. It was really cool. Um, wow. But uh, yeah, man, I still have all my dirt bikes. Like I'm like ready to go whenever something opens. Um, you know, they all run. Everything's good. How come the town doesn't open a dirt bike track, man? <sighs> I think. Where do you find where do you find the land where nobody's going to complain? I think the noise people lose their shit, you know. Right, like, it's like where it's so loud, you know. It's just, and and how do you build an indoor place? You know, it's like you could build an indoor place, but it's got to be massive. Where are you going to get that land? It's got to be huge, and you know, how does out here to get permits for anything is 
you know, if, if they don't want you to have something, they're going to make it really hard for you to get a permit for it, you know? Oh, yeah. That's how, that's how well, if you want here. a bird bath in your backyard, it's like you got to apply for six permits. And I know, I know. Natural it's, Resources Division. I know. And it's like the environmental impact. It's like, you know what? Forget it. I don't even want a bird bath. And they're like, yes. <laughs> You're <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Fuck that guy in his yeah. bird bath. <laughs> Fuck that guy. Let's plant another hydrangea. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, plant another boxwood. Yeah. Bam. Like, emerald. Bam. Yeah. There's a boxwood. Bam. Yeah. There's a crepe myrtle. Bam. There's a... It's like, bro, how many generic fucking... Shit, can you plant on the same properties out here over and over and over and over? I know. Good I know. lord. Um, yeah, dude. But um, but yeah, yeah, you mentioned the crew, the dirt bike crew. Um, you got any trips planned with those guys? You got any trips planned with the guys in general? Any surf trips planned or any fun things? Yeah, for the I think winter? we're gonna try to go to um, I try to go to the Outer Banks. Gonna try to rent the house down there. Ooh. We did it last October. It was it was pretty fun. It's kind of bad timing for me, but I still made it happen. But it was it was a good time, and I, I'm yeah. hoping I can go. I can go. Uh, you know, this year too. Yeah. So it's a good time. Just all of us to get together again. And, uh, but yeah, man, I still have the same crew I had since I was five years old. You know, it's, I'm, I'm fortunate. You know, I feel like I don't really have friends. I, I have brothers, you know, and I'm really, I'm really thankful for that, you know. So it's a benefit of a small town like this, too. You really do grow up with a brotherhood instead of a it know, is. friend group. You it know? really is, you know. Yeah. So, um, so I'm thankful for that, you know. That's, that's cool. Yeah. Well, well, dude, you're the fucking man. Thanks for coming on and, and dude, talking to me, me about yeah. all this and aviation and being a pilot, dirt yeah. biking in Montauk and all this crazy shit. I mm-hmm. mean, you're, you know, you're obviously a one of a kind kind of guy and that's the people we like on this. And, you know, we love that you shared your story and, and told us a little bit about who you are and, and yeah, dude, don't you know, why you do it. Because people need to hear that for inspiration. You know, they need to hear that, you know, you don't have to get straight A's in high school to do really cool shit and, and progress in your life and, and uh, yeah know, yeah well I, I, I went to Montauk school in my uniform to talk to the kids and I'm like guys like you I'm like hey if you got good grades that's great keep going but if you don't it's you know it's not the end of the world it's, it's okay you know and uh, I'm just a normal guy I'm very fortunate I'm so thankful to everyone who's helped me get get to where I am today and it's something I never thought I'd see myself doing and uh, yeah I mean it's I can't say it enough you know how thankful I am that's awesome dude thanks for coming appreciate you and uh Fuck yeah, man. We'll see you soon. Yeah, brother. Sounds good. Keep it real. Talk to you soon.